Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. According to John. Now this is John the Apostle, also John the Revelator. He wrote Revelation, the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And he is going to uh, introduce us to an in incredible biblical character today. And we're going to take a, a close look at him and dissect this individual because we can learn things from him that we can apply to our life. Now the reason John gets so excited about the character that he's going to introduce us to today is because the character had a big view of Jesus. And John had an incredibly large idea of who Jesus is supposed to be. So tell your neighbor you need a bigger Jesus. Honestly, I think that's what uh, the biggest problem in the church today, it's the biggest problem in the lives of those who claim Christianity today, is we have much too small of a view of who Jesus is supposed to be. And so John gets it, and he authors this amazing book, and he introduces to this incredible person. Now, this incredible person is one of the most unusual, he's one of the coolest, He's one of the most incredible, one of, one of the, the, the most uh, profound in his message of any biblical characters in the Old and the New Testament. And so uh, what, what we see in his life is he is unapologetic about his position with God. And we live in a world where things are compromised, where we, we just don't experience the greatness of the journey with God. You see, when Jesus Christ comes into our life, it begins, us, it begins a brand new journey, a new chapter in our life. And I'm going to tell you, it's supposed to be incredible. And often, our Christianity doesn't look quite so incredible. It looks a little mundane. It looks a little plain. It looks a little white wrappered. okay? It, it, it doesn't have much pizzazz. And, and, and then we wonder, why do we feel so uh, defeated and kind of miserable in our Christianity? And then we wonder why we don't have an influence on the world around us. Quite honestly, because the world around us looks at us and says, why would I want what you have? Why should I be excited about something you don't seem to be that excited about? You know what I'm saying? Now, we've all played that part. Well, today we're going to see an individual who colored outside the lines. And he had a simple message to the world. His message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His message never changed. It didn't matter if he was talking to the rich or the poor, the, the uh, academia, the political world, the religious culture, it didn't matter. His message was the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Say that with me. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now what, is he, what was he saying and what does it still say today? Well the word repent is not that difficult. It means to make a 180 degree turn from where, where you were headed and turning back into the face and into the desires and into the will of God. That's what it means. And so to repent is to change your mind and to change your way. Now, John the Baptist is his name. 
That's the character for today, John the Baptist. Not John the Apostle. It's John the Apostle writing about John the Baptist. This individual shows up in all four Gospels. He's an incredible, incredible biblical character. Now, let's learn a little bit about him. He was a Nazarite. A Nazarite came from the Old Testament when somebody would make a Nazarite vow, a Nazarene vow. It meant usually it could be male or female. It had a beginning date and an ending date. And usually it just meant they were set apart uh, from the rest of the world and its ways. To be a Nazarite, you had some conditions that you had to meet in your lifestyle choice. No alcohol in your life. Not even anything that, that came from the fruit of the vine. You couldn't eat raisins in your diet. You stayed far away from anything that could potentially look like it could intoxicate you. Not only that, you couldn't get your hair cut and you couldn't come even remotely close to a dead body because it would contaminate your life. Now, right now, some people would shut this message off, shut this passage of Scripture found in the gospel according to John because we're talking about an unusual biblical character and it really doesn't have anything to do with me. That's a lie. I want you to know today that your life should pattern his life. Everything God called John the Baptist to do, he's inviting you to engage in as well. And so we're going to see, I want to show you in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, what that means of you. Maybe you're not a Nazarite. Maybe you hadn't taken a Nazarene vow. If you are a Christian, this is what your commitment should look like. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So, so your calling is the same as John's. Tell your neighbor you got a calling on your life. So what does it look like when you get a big Jesus in your life. What does it look like when you have the right perspective of Jesus? When he's bigger than a felt board character? When he's bigger than a fan Jesus? When he's bigger than a cheer Jesus? When he's bigger than what we think he is? When, he, when we understand the godness of Jesus and his desire to be God of your life? What does that look like? We're going to see it in this slide. So number one on your worship guide, on the back of your worship guide, number one, when you have a bigger Jesus, Jesus will use you. He will deploy you. He will employ you. Now, I, I, want, you to, I want you to listen because I think this is a problem. People wonder when, when their journey is flat. Often it's because we have we have compromised and conformed our idea of who Jesus is supposed to be and we have embraced an idea of who the world accepts Jesus to be in your life. Now let me explain, let me unpack that. Instead of allowing Jesus to be who Jesus desires to be in your life, we say, well, I'm just going to let enough Jesus in my life to 
satisfy the world around me because they really don't want all that Jesus is supposed to be. You know what that means? It's okay to tell everybody you're a Christian. In most circles, it's okay. They may not embrace Christianity, but it's okay if you say you are a Christian. As long as you don't bring your whole Christian stuff into my circle. Because if you say you're a Christian and you want to carry your Christianity and all the values that that has, uh, is supposed to have with it, you keep it there, that's fine. But if you want to inject it into my life, into my circle, oh no, oh no. So what do we do? We just conform and we dilute Jesus to the place that the world's comfortable with your version of Christianity. John the Baptist didn't get the memo on that. Okay, he didn't get that, all right? And we shouldn't get it. Look at your neighbor and say, stop compromising. You know you've been wanting to preach all week. See, I just let you preach to your neighbor right there, all right? And so, so we have to be very careful. Now, let's look at this life of John the Baptist. John chapter 1, beginning in verses 6 through 8. A man came, sent from God. Everybody say, sent whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light. Everybody say a witness. So that everyone might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, once again, immediately we read this and we say, okay, this guy's sent from God. That's not me. And then we read, okay, this guy was supposed to be a witness about the coming Christ. That's not me. I want you to know it is you. I want you to know the same narrative should be written about your life. You have been sent to be a witness. In Matthew 28, he says to Christians, he says, Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You are supposed to be a witness, and you have been sent. You see, sometimes we just think as human beings, we're just here sucking up air, taking up space. And that's not what God, why God put you here. I want you to hear the truth. I, if maybe you've never heard it before. Maybe you've heard it. I want to remind you. You are here because God has ordained for you to be here in this season. You are not here by chance, sucking up air and taking up space. You were created, formed, designed by the God of everything with a very particular, a very specific purpose in his world, which is not your world. You're just here because he has ordained you to be here. He's given you all the tools you need to be who it is that he has placed you here to be. Now, some of us in this room have embraced that. I have. I'm called to be a preacher. I didn't invite myself to be a preacher. I didn't ask to be a preacher. He formed me and, 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 and gave me the tools to preach. All of us aren't preachers. Some of you have embraced who it is that God wants you to be, and you live according to that purpose, that God has sent you to be a witness so that others would believe. But some of the rest of us think, yeah, I just don't know. Well, let me clear that up. You're here with a purpose. And he has something he wants you to do. And when you boil it all down, it looks just like this. He has put you here so he can send you to be a witness so that others will believe. Now that's good news because it's, it gives you a reason to live. So 
he came as a witness to testify so that people would believe. Now, how did John understand the greatness of who Jesus is? How, how do you get, okay, watch this. Because people live in both, both of these spectrums and sometimes in between. How do we get from this place where we know about Jesus, we, 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 we believe an idea about a real man who came to this earth we might even grab the idea that he was born to a virgin mother whose name was Mary. We might even say, okay, and he was not just immaculately conceived, but he also lived a perfect, sinless life. Okay, I'll, I'll scratch around on that reality. Not only that, but then when his ministry began for three years, he performed miracles and demonstrated who he was, uh, had power over everything in existence. Okay, I'll believe that. I even believe that he was crucified on a cross. I even believe that on the third day he got up out of that tomb and now he lives. I even believe maybe he ascended to heaven with the Father and he's been building our heaven ever since. Now that sounds good and most everybody in that room, in this room, would believe that those, those uh, details, right? But there's something different between having that knowledge that we intellectually and logically embrace and that knowledge seeping down into the depth of our being to the place where it changes the way we talk and the way we walk and the places we go and the things we entertain and consider there's something different. Now, 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 what's the difference? How does it move from here to the core, to the, to the fiber of our being? It can't happen on your own. It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's people who say, yeah, one day I was living just wild, and I just decided I was going to get saved. I asked Jesus to save me, and my life's never been the same. There's, there's a problem with that. You don't particularly have the ability to choose when you get saved. You see, the Bible says unless the Holy Spirit conditions you and woos you or draws you or invites you, you can't be saved. It's not on your timetable. It's why it's important that when you feel the Holy Spirit inviting you into his presence and inviting you on this amazing journey, it's why it's important that you say, this is my moment. The Bible says that this could be your day of salvation. And for me as a 10-year-old boy, I wasn't looking for Jesus because Jesus wasn't lost. Jesus was looking for me because I was the one that was lost. And he said, listen, I want you to be with me. I want you to experience me. And as a 10-year-old boy, I didn't get it. But I knew in that moment there was something bigger than me inviting me into his presence. And I stepped into that journey. And my life has never been the same. But it was not because I was looking to be saved. It was because he was looking to save me. The difference is the Holy Spirit. Now what about in the life of John? So let me give you a little bit of information. John's mother, John the Baptist's mother is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was married to a priest whose name was Zechariah. And they were old people, beyond childbearing years. But they always wanted a child. And, and, and Zechariah gets appointed to go in for the priestly responsibilities. And while in there, an angel tells him, you're going to have a son. 
And he's like, yeah, okay. And the, and the angel says, oh, you, you, you laugh. You don't really believe that? He was stricken moot. He couldn't talk when he came out of the temple. They're like, Zachariah, how was everything? I got nothing. He didn't have nothing, okay? The volume was turned off, okay? And so ultimately his wife, Elizabeth, gets pregnant. This, this amazing barren womb was, was, became pregnant, and they have this son. Now, she's pregnant. Now, I want you to hear the story. So, so Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mother. Mary is Jesus' mother. Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. So Mary, meanwhile, is over here, and she had her little experience with pregnancy, Right? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to have God, uh, you're going to deliver God through your womb. Now, there's a, a message for you, okay? And so she's already got her little world going on, and she hears about her cousin, Elizabeth. Now, she's old, and she's having a baby, too. Watch what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary got up and went hurriedly. She's excited for her cousin. And she went into the hill country to a town of Judah and entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Now, watch what happens. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud voice, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child in your womb. And who am I that the mother of the Lord should come and visit me? For the instant that sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. You see, the Holy Spirit is what helps you know the greatness of who Jesus is. And, and, and I talk about choices, resources, and when I love me some babies. I love babies. I love babies that are here. I love babies in the womb. I love hearing about people getting pregnant. I, lo I, I love babies because babies represent life. And I want you to know, in a world that says it's not a baby, it's a tissue, it's a fetus, listen to me, all of you, it's a baby, all right? When it's conceived... It's a baby. And here's a perfect picture of it. John the Baptist minding his own business in his mother's womb. Minding his own business in the comfortable and secure place he's supposed to be. He can't see Jesus. He can't hear Jesus. He can't smell Jesus. But when Jesus shows up in the womb, even as an unborn baby, he got a bigger view of Jesus. He's in the womb. He's whoo, backflip. He's in the house. Now, that doesn't happen. You know, Elizabeth didn't say, D -d 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 -d. he's here. Okay? No. The Holy Spirit let him know that God was in the room. That's what changes things. That's what moves us from a head knowledge to a soul knowledge when we get a bigger Jesus in our life. Now, the point was this. When you get a bigger Jesus, then he will use you. He wants to deploy you in this kingdom agenda, which is bigger than anything you've ever been a part of. It is an eternal thing. What does it look like? For John the Baptist, in Matthew 3, it says in those days, John the Baptist. Oh, by the way, let me clear this up. John was not a Baptist. I mean, he could be in this Baptist church. He was the baptizer. John the baptizer. That's who he is. All right. Now listen to what he says. John the baptizer came into the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. For he is the one about whom Isaiah the prophet had spoken. The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing 
made from camel's hair. And he wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet consisted of locust and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, as well as all of Judea and all the region around Jordan, were going out to him, and he was baptizing them in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So here's an ordinary guy, looks a little rough around the edges, long, uncut hair, long, woolly beard, wore a camel hair, not a camel hair jacket, okay, wore a camel fur, all right, leather around his waist, weird diet, eating bugs and honey, all right, he's an, he's an unusual bird because God had set him apart. Listen to me, church, if you're a Christian, you need to be an unusual bird too. You don't need to dress like everybody else, act like everybody else, smell like everybody else, do what everybody else is doing. We all need to be a little bit unusual as followers of Jesus. And so Matthew 3 now goes from verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. So Jesus replied to him, Let it happen now, for it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John yielded to him after Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming on Jesus. Verse 17, and the voice from heaven said, this is my one dear son. In him I take great delight. What does it mean when you get a bigger Jesus it means Jesus will use you in his life. He's just an old rough guy. But what does he do? He baptizes Jews into repentance. What does he do? He gets to baptize the Savior of the world. Not only that, one of the few people in all of existence who get to experience the triune Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all cap capstoned in this little moment he baptizes G God who is uh, Jesus who is God and, and when he comes up the Holy Spirit God comes down on Jesus and, and then he hears God the Father from heaven say this is my son why because the Holy Spirit revealed to him that there's a bigger Jesus and if, when you get a bigger Jesus he'll use you in a bigger way tell your neighbor God wants to use you in a bigger way Now, I want, I want you to understand this. He, he wasn't an ordinary guy. He came of a special birth. A barren womb gave birth. He's not the first one. In fact, in the Old Testament, Sarah was barren. She gave birth to Isaac. Rebecca barren gave birth to jo uh, Jacob. Rachel barren gave birth to Joseph. Menorah's wife, Samson. Hannah, Samuel. And you say, well, there it is. Okay, maybe I'm sent. And maybe I'm supposed to testify, but I don't have anything special about my birth, so I'm disqualified to be this kind of witness. Eh, wrong answer. In fact, if you're here today and you claim Christianity, okay, it means you claim that Jesus has saved you. If Jesus has really saved you, then you do have a special birth. You got a special rebirth. You see, the Bible says, unless you're born again, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. You remember the story. He says, uh, am I supposed to enter my mother's womb again? How's this supposed to happen? Jesus said, no. He says, you've had a physical birth. Now you need to have a spiritual birth. And when you get that rebirth, when your spirit is born again, it's made alive, you have a miraculous birth too. So once again, 
You're just like John the Baptist, and he wants to use you in an incredible way. Number two, when you get a bigger Jesus, it will humble you. It will humble you. John 1, beginning in verse 19, it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders then sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. All right, everybody look right here for just a second. Let me lay the groundwork. John has this enormous following now. Okay, John the Baptist, he's out there, and he's baptizing people of, for repentance. I mean, he, and he's got his own disciples, his own little posse that travels with him. And, and everybody's wondering, especially the Jewish com- community, man, what is the deal with this guy? How does he have this following? What is this thing he's talking about? Maybe he really is a guy sent from God. And so they go to him, and they say, uh, who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny but confessed I'm not Christ. Then he goes on and says, so they ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not that guy either. They said, are you a prophet? And he said, no. And then they said to him, then who are you? Tell us so that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, so John the Baptist said, I am a voice The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, let me pause right there. We all like to take a little glory every now and then. You know what I'm saying? We we like to take the credit for some cool stuff every now and then. As a preacher, I'll just be transparent as a preacher. I'll stand out there and people come, come to me and they'll just look at me and lie. They say, that was great. I'm just lying. That's the worst thing I've ever preached, okay? The flags in heaven are half mass and angels are crying and you out here lying like this, okay? And 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 but then they'll sometimes people come and they'll they'll just be moved and you know and have tears and they say, that that really spoke to my heart. And I know they mean it. So so you know, I said, Well, you know, it spoke to me, you know, you don't know what to say in those moments. Awkward. You know when somebody compliments you how awkward how awkward it is, you know, oh man, you got a hair, your hair looks beautiful, girls. Your hair looks beautiful. What are you going Yeah, I know. You know, no, you say, well, I changed my color a little bit. I'm not sure if I like it. Try to play it down, you know. You know you do that. I've raised two daughters, got a wife, you know. Kendra had a manicure yesterday. She, she loaded question, guys. Let me just tell you, what do you think about the new color? Let, men, I've never seen your wife's color. Let me tell you about the new color. You love it. Okay? That's what the Holy Spirit wants you to say. Okay? You love it. Okay? It's a loaded question. Okay, and so, so you take a little credit, you have t- tendency to take a little credit. Here's what it looks like for me. I, I'll go home and Kendra will say, you know, that, that, that message, you did good on your message, you know. She's, she's, she's Holy Spirit number two. She's my, my worst critic, and, and, or I'm a worst critic. She's number two. And she'll say, the message was good. It said it made a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and sometimes I'll say this. You know what so-and-so said? And I'll quote it. Now, I, I'm not, I don't mean to be take glory and taking any glory or credit for it, but it's kind of, it, it is that way. You, t- you own it a little bit. You know, Kendra is an incredible math teacher, okay, incredible. I mean, Isaac Newton and some of those mathematicians, the only reason they wrote, wrote the formulas, she wasn't born yet, okay? <laughs> and sometimes they'll brag on her teaching, and she'll tell me, you know what they said, you know? And I know she doesn't mean to be, ta- you know, glorying in that, but you can't help it. Now, don't y'all look at me so pious like you don't do that. You know you do it. Grant, you did it. You had two job offers yesterday, didn't you? You gloried in that a little bit, all right? 
I did not one time hear you say, praise Jesus. You didn't say that. I know you were thinking it because I know your heart. Okay? I can pick on Grant. I love him like my own son. All right? It's the truth. We do it. All of us do it, Grant. I, I do it. You, we all do it. Okay? John the Baptist, I got nothing. John the Baptist says, no, I'm not Jesus. I'm not a prophet. I'm not that guy. No. I don't bring that much to the table. Look at me. I'm wearing camel hair, eating locusts. Got a shaggy beard and long hair. I'm a Nazarite. I stand in the river. I throw people underwater. That's what I do. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. And, and that's what happens when, when you get a bigger Jesus, you find a smaller you. Now, I'm telling you, that's power-packed. When you get a bigger Jesus, when you look in the mirror, you see a smaller you. And that is the beginning of where God wants you to be so he can use you. Now, he says in verse 26, John answered, he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not recognize, and he's coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Why? Because he got a bigger Jesus. Verse 28, these things happened in Bethany across the Jordan River where John was baptizing. And on the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said after me comes a man who is greater than I because he existed before me, and I didn't even recognize him. Now, here's what it, what's interesting. This is his cousin. He knew about Jesus. He had seen Jesus being all perfect, never getting a whipping. I bet John the Baptist got a whipping every day. All right? Not Jesus. Oh, no. He's perfect. You know, ruins the curve for the rest of us. And, and so, so here he is, and Jesus, he, he knew who he was, but he didn't recognize him as the Lamb of God. But now he says, this is the one that I told you about. Now, I want you to look down at verse 37. When John's two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, ain't that a kicker? Man, you got your little, your cronies, your groupies, your posse you're rolling with. It's all good. And now somebody comes along and you want to unplug, dig up your roots and go follow this new guy. Okay? Now, that's what we would do. Oh, no, you're with me. You're my disciple. See, we have a tendency to want to build our own little personal kingdom. And John said, yeah, no, not a word of rebuke. Yeah, that's good. Now, how do we know he, he was okay with his disciples leaving? We look back over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 26 says, So they came to John and they said, Rabbi, the one who was with you on the other side of the Jordan River, about whom you testified, if you'll look, he is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him now. Now you're losing them. You're losing your followers. And John said, verse 27, No one can receive anything unless, unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Christ, but rather I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. You know what John's saying? Hey, man, I only came so people would know and follow him. My goal was to point people to him. And listen, church, your goal is to point people to him. Amen. And at the end, listen what he says. He says in verse 30, he says, he, talking about Jesus, he must become more important 
while I become less important. Your translation may say, he must increase and I must decrease. Listen, your life should be about you getting smaller and Jesus getting bigger. And when that happens, incredible things will happen in your world and in God's kingdom. Number three, when you get a bigger Jesus, this is the good part. It's going to cost you. Now, we live in a world that wants to preach and proclaim easy believism. Easy believism says this, man, you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to get easy. You give your life to Jesus and all your troubles go away. You'll have no more bad days. You'll have no sorrow, amen. You'll have, you'll have no more hurts, no more disappointments. All the promotions at work will be yours. You'll always have money in your bank and you'll never get sick again, all right? That's what people want to pre preach. And it preaches really good because, honestly, that's what we all want to hear, okay? But listen to this preacher based on the testimony of this infallible, inerrant, eternal word. That is a lie. Jesus said they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you if you follow me. Jesus said this world has sorrows. This world has burdens. He says you can bring your burdens to me and, and I'll carry your burden with you. Well, you know what he's saying? You got them. And, and right here, listen what happens. You think you, you, this is worst case scenario, so don't get discouraged. All right, but listen what happens in John the baptizer's life. Verse 17 of Mark chapter 6. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John and bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. And John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So now Herodias had a grudge against him, I can't imagine why, and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. Now, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. Verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. And when his daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask, I will give you even half of my kingdom, verse 24. So she went out and she said to her mother, who was Herodias, the one that had a grudge against John the baptizer, what should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Verse 25, so immediately uh, she, the daughter rushed back into the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on a platter. And the king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths for, and for the guest, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother, and when the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So here's what we're looking for today. We're wanting people to have a bigger Jesus. I got a sign-up list right here. Who's going to be committed if you know you got that in the future? Nobody wants to talk about that. Now I'm going to venture and say I'm 57 years old. If the Lord lets me live to be 87 years old, I'm not sure I want to, but if the Lord lets me live 87 years old or he doesn't come back and get me sooner than that, I venture to say nobody in this crowd will ever have your head chopped off, delivered to a party on a platter. I'm going to prophesy on that. Okay? Now I'm just going to say that. But I will tell you this. 
when you get a bigger Jesus in your life, it'll start to make those people around you uncomfortable, okay? And it'll cost you something. And let me tell you something. If you never feel like you're swimming upstream as a Christian, it may be because you're drifting downstream comfortably on the enemy's float. If you never feel like, man, it's a battle, it's hard, it may be because you're just drifting and floating downstream just like the enemy would have you because it's not easy. It's not easy for me to be a preacher. It's not easy for uh, those around us to be pastors and leaders. It's not easy for you to be a committed Christian, and it's not supposed to be because this world is full of the devil and the devil has a degree of, of power that he can uh, implement on this world. And so he's always fighting and pushing back. So I want you to see what happens now. So verse 30. Then the apostles gathered around Jesus and they told him everything that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come with me privately to an isolated place and rest a while. Jesus, excuse me, John the Baptist has been beheaded. They come and tell Jesus about it, and Jesus says, come with me to a pri private place. And they end up not in a private place. They go to a place, and he feeds 5,000 men, followed by walking on the water, calming the sea, and healing the sick. What is that? Here's what it is. When the enemy thinks he wins a little battle, Jesus steps up and says, I'm conquering the war. While, you're, while you think you've done damage to my kingdom by terminating the life of my forerunner, John the Baptist, <laughs> I got him right where I want him. He's with me for all of eternity. And listen, John the Baptist wasn't born again yet because what Jesus came to do wasn't complete yet. Okay? He placed his faith in, the, in what Jesus would do ultimately on the cross. He was sealed and secured. Jesus had him in the palm of his hand the Bible says when Jesus was resurrected, graves were opened up and dead bodies were resurrected and walked around. Everything in me believes if you could take a snapshot right in the middle of that bunch was old woolly John the Baptist. Everything. Because why? I want to show you in a minute what Jesus said about him. So when you get a bigger Jesus, he'll use you, he'll humble you, and it will cost you. And number four, and we finish. When you get a bigger, a bigger Jesus, Jesus will know you. Now, often we say we know Jesus. There's a vast chasm of difference between us saying we know Jesus and Jesus saying, I know him and I know her. So to get there, to see what Jesus knew and said about this guy, John the Baptist, we're going to go back in time just a little bit to right before he was beheaded, okay? It's important to right before he dies. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. So John's disciples informed him about these things, and so John called two of his disciples. So John the Baptist is in prison. He sees his death as imminent. He knows that his time is short. He feels that. Why? How could he know that? He's a prophet, and he knows. He just feels it. And so he sends for two of his disciples. In the darkness, in the despair of this moment, when he's in the belly of this prison, he sends for two of his disciples in verse 19, and he sent them 
to, to Jesus to ask this question. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Seriously? Here's the guy that leaped in the womb. Here's the guy that saw the Trinity in the river. And now he's in this dark spot, man. And he says, go ask him, are you really the one? I don't know how long I got, but if he's not the one, I'm going to keep looking until I find him. Verse 20, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you. You know this would be a little uncomfortable for his disciples because they've been with him too. You know it's a little upside down. And he says, so John wanted us to ask you, are you the one who's to come or should we look for another? Verse 21, <laughs> big Jesus. At that very time, Jesus cured many of the diseases, the sicknesses, the evil spirits, and granted sight to many who were blind. And then he answered them, you go tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers cleanse, deaf hear, dead are raised, poor have good news, proclaim to them. You go tell John, I am, I am that I am. I am the one that was supposed to come. I am the one that is here. What he saw in the, what he experienced in the womb and what he saw in the river, he can know it's still me while he's in the belly of the prison. He don't have anything to worry about. I have him just where I want him. I want you to know something. Even in your darkest spot, even in the hardest moment of your life, Jesus has not come off his throne. He's still large and he's still in charge and he will take care of you and he will carry you through the darkest moment in your life because he is the one. And he says in verse 23, blessed is anyone who takes blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Now, I finish up with this. Have you ever wondered what Jesus says about you? You know he talks about you. You know that if you've been adopted into the kingdom of God, you're a child of his. People say all people are children of God. That's a lie. You're not a child of God until you're adopted into the kingdom as a child of God. Jesus talks about you. How do I know that? I'm going to show you in a second. How else do I know it? People talk about things they love. I have two grandchildren. People around me get tired of me talking about my grandchildren. And you know what? I don't even care. You don't even have to like me as long as you love my grandchildren. People who have children talk about their children. I'm supposed to be honest everybody. Facebook, we're tired of looking at your children. I know what all y'all's kids are doing. All the good things. You're not talking about all that other stuff. I know your child is perfect on Facebook. Okay? People talk about the things that are the object of our affection. Jesus is no different. Now listen what he says about John the baptizer. This will rock your world. He says in verse 24, When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John the Baptist. And he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Jesus said, this is no clown. This is no mamby-pamby, spineless, watered-down 
prophet to, that I called to be my forerunner. This man didn't move with every wind of doctrine that came blowing through. That's not who he was. And then he says, what did you go out to see? Verse 25, a man dressed in fancy clothes. Look, those who wear fancy clothes and live in luxury are in king's courts. My guy was in a camel hair and a leather belt eating locusts and wild honey. He was a Nazarite. He was committed. He got the bigger Jesus. He didn't come to impress. He came to inform. He didn't come to conform. He came to convict. I don't know what you came looking for. And then he says, 26, what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yeah, I'll tell you. He was more than a prophet. This is the one Jesus talking to the crowds about the one he loved. He said, this guy, he says, is the one that I said, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before me. He was not embarrassed at the performance of John the Baptist. He said, that's the one that laid it straight for me. That's the one that cried in the wilderness telling the Jews and everybody that would listen, the Messiah is coming. You need to get your heart right. You need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then watch how he finishes up. Amazing, verse 28. I'll tell you, among those born of women, no one's greater than John. That makes the hair on my arm stand up. That Jesus is talking about somebody who understood a bigger Jesus. And he says, not, not any born among women is greater than this guy. So here's my question. When Jesus talks about you, what would he say? I, it burdens me because I don't, there's sometimes I wouldn't like what he says about me. There's other moments when, okay, maybe it wouldn't be too brutal today. What does he say about you? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. And I want you to consider the question that John the baptizer was asking to put this whole scenario in motion the question was this are you really the one or should I look for another greatest question in the Bible and it's true for you it's a question that you need to consider asking simply say Jesus are you the one who controls my life? Or is there another? I don't know how long I have on this earth, but I want to nail that one down. I want to drive a stake in it. I want my eternal existence to be tethered to the truth that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then you say, well, how do I know if, I've, if I really get this idea of a bigger Jesus? Is God doing great things in your life? 
is he using you? You will know. Do you have a great view of Jesus which moves you to a real awareness of the smallness of who you are? Then you may have the right attitude. Do you feel the, the world pushing against you because you live for Christ on a daily basis? And when you say you know him, do you feel the reality that he knows you? That you have a relationship that's real and alive. And so the challenge today is this. If you're here today and you are separated from God, you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to hear something. No matter how far you think you have run, Jesus is right on your heels chasing you down. And the same cry that John the Baptist gave, repent, change your mind and change your ways for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's an arm length away. And as soon as you repent, change your mind and turn, you don't have to go find him. He's right there behind you ready to receive you you may be here today and you're just you know that you're simply lost in your sinfulness separated from God he loves you he died for you and he is willing that you come to him you simply say God I know I'm a sinner God I believe Jesus came to die on a cross for my sin I believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, demonstrating his power over my death, my hell, and my grave. I want Jesus to come into my life and save me right now. I turn to you. I turn away from my sin. I want you to save me and be my Lord forever. I pray it in Jesus' name. And for the rest of us who have already done that, here's the challenge embrace and live for a bigger Jesus than you did yesterday. Father, we thank you for this time together. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. If there's one that needs to be saved today, help them be willing to make that decision. God, I'll be standing in the front. Help them know that they can proudly walk down here and tell me about their decision, make it public. I'll pray with them and rejoice with them. And the angels of heaven will celebrate. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.